Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Well, spring is on the horizon. Many home buyers and sellers see that as a great time to get moving. Bluegrass Realtors, a new name, we'll discuss that, represents more than 4,000 realtors in 30 counties of central and eastern Kentucky. Their latest reports show that median home prices have hit an all-time high at $240,000. Overall sales were at $4.2 billion last year, down slightly from $4.4 billion in the record-setting year of 2021. Inventory up some, houses sitting on the market a little longer. How are higher interest rates impacting things and what home trends are buyers out there looking for? Uh, joining us right now from Bluegrass Realtors, the CEO Justin Landon and the 2023 president Kelly Nisbet, who is the broker owner at Coldwell Banker McMahon Realtors in Central Kentucky. Welcome, we appreciate you coming in. Thanks, Hello. Bill. Always a pleasure. Well, let's hear about this new name first. First of all, it's just Bluegrass Realtors now, yeah, right? That's right. Uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we represented only nine counties uh, in Fayette County and adjacent counties. And over the years, we've grown a little bit. And although we've been Lexington Bluegrass for a long time, uh, our, our name needed to encompass the full breadth of who we represent. And we felt that Bluegrass Realtors does a better job of that. All right. Uh, there have been all kinds of predictions about the housing market, uh, nationally and locally. Uh, certainly uh, lots going on. Interest rates have jumped. Uh, but don't things seem to be relatively stable in the Bluegrass? Uh, yeah. I mean, our market is always uh, a little insulated from some of the impacts that happen nationally. Uh, we tend to perform a little bit better than everybody else across the country, Things, but also means we don't grow as fast in, in median prices everywhere else, although certainly in recent years, those median prices have been climbing uh, uh, pretty quickly um, and continue to do so despite some of, the, uh, some of the forces out there that people have maybe predicted would bring prices down. We just don't see that happening. Uh, Kelly, and congratulations on serving as uh, president. Well, thank you. Uh, we know prices uh, rose drastically early in the pandemic. Uh, then interest rates jumps. The government's trying to control inflation. That's going on. What impact is that having right now? How much of the discussion uh, are those interest rates? Well, it's definitely a discussion, but the, the overreaching uh, thing is we still do not have enough inventory out there. And historically, Historically speaking, at interest rates being where they are now, they're still very good. It's not, you know, the lows that we had of the two and a half, three percent, but they are still historically very good interest rates, and there's still people out there looking to buy and sell. Is it a frustration not having enough uh, property to, to sell? It's incredibly frustrating. I think that's that's where you see that median home price, you know, going up because it's just there's. There's not enough inventory to satisfy what the people coming in wanting to buy homes. And is there a solution to that? Well, you know, the solutions are complicated. We've talked about it on this show before. We talk about it all the time. You know, there are, uh, there are many factors that drive uh, housing availability, obviously land availability being one of them, material availability, lumber, you know, how much workforce is available, labor. Uh, and then, of course, just the legislative environment, you know, that we have at any given moment. Um, but I think, you know, so those forces are unchanged. I think what's a little bit unique about the inventory crisis we find ourselves in now is that we're also coming out of a two-year period where we had more transactions than we've ever seen before, combined with more refinances than we've ever seen before. So there's just a lot of people over the last 24 to 36 months who've made decisions about where they want to live. And frankly, they're not really looking to move right this minute, which mm -hmm. means 
the number of homes on the market is lower than you might otherwise expect. I mean, are people just holding off uh, in doing something, both because, as uh, he was saying, the decisions have been made and people are where they want to be, but also they're watching the, the economy right now? Of course they are, but, but there's still that need. You still have that first-time home buyer that is coming into the market, that that is getting the job and, and ready to move out and make that first step into home ownership. And to Kelly's point, I think if, if, if you're out there right now listening to buyers, there are certainly buyers, I would guess, that are saying, well, I mean, I'll get, wait a little while. Maybe prices will come down. Maybe interest rates will come down. Uh, and that's a bit of a of a, uh, a fool's gold. Uh, it's sort of prices probably aren't going to come down a whole lot, uh, if at all. Uh, and interest rates might go down a little bit, and they might go up a little bit. Uh, and so really, what do they always say? The best time to, to think about buying a house might be today, and the best time was yesterday, or vice versa. So what do you say to that person who's trying to get in for the first time? And they want that you know $250,000 house with three bedrooms and two baths and a little backyard. Uh, it's a pretty uh, difficult uh, thing to find right now, right? The first thing you say is seek the advice of a realtor. And then you move forward and, and you might initially when they thought that they were going to first be able to buy in a certain area, they might have to expand where they're looking. They might, you know, we are a regional um, association. They might have to go, you know, a little further out from where they are working to, to find that affordability. So, Do you find you need to think regionally because the buyers think regionally? Uh, you know, more than half of Fayette County's workforce commutes into town That's every right. day, right? Yeah, I think if we went back 10 years and asked the average realtor in the field, uh, you know, how often are you leaving your community, uh, wherever that is, whether that's Fayette County or, or Richmond or, or Winchester, how far are you going from your community to help your clients buy and sell every day? And they would say probably not that far. You know, they, but these days, it's very common to hear somebody say, well, I'm two counties out, I'm three counties out with my clients. Uh, it, you know, they wanted Fayette County, but now we find ourselves in Boyle County or, or Montgomery County. Um, and that, that's an ongoing trend uh, for a host of reasons. Uh, and of course, the pandemic has all, only encouraged that as people are considering work from home options and things like that. So sometimes it's that they want to be out, and sometimes it's affordability. That's right. Exactly. We have the, you know, the the luxury now of the changing uh, outlook of, of how you work is allowing for people to to definitely look at different options on on some more rural communities. And uh, Justin, you you touched on this a little bit, but uh, you know. <laughs> It's policies uh, that uh, also dictate a little bit of uh, where the development goes and, and what is available out there, right? And so those policies uh, differ from locality to locality. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, the, we're, we're going heading into a comprehensive plan uh, for uh, Lexington Fayette Urban Government. And of course, anytime we're doing that, the hot topic is the urban service boundary. And the urban service boundary in Fayette County absolutely controls uh, what land is available for development. Uh, and while that's somewhat unique to Fayette County, you know, other counties have similar challenges at times. You know, the, some counties may have a tug and pull between whether, whether they want development to occur in the county or within the city limits. Um, so there's always those challenges that communities face. And as, a, as an organization that promotes home ownership and housing opportunity, our goal is to try to bring all those people to the table and say, at the end of the day, we just need enough homes for people to live in. And right now, I think the answer is we just don't have enough. Typically, you would like to see those uh, urban service areas expanded. 
Um, I would say that there's a nuanced discussion there about what we really want. I think at the end of the day, we need more homes built. Um, and certainly, you know, a change in the urban service boundary would facilitate that. But as a community, we have to discuss, have a discussion about the costs and benefits of that. Um, and there is no easy answer, as much as I wish there was. Uh, Kelly, and I know, uh, you know, every buyer is unique, obviously. But what are the, the trends out there right now? I know early on in the pandemic, as uh, we've mentioned, everybody was working from home. And there was the home office uh, craze for a time. And, and people wanted uh, more space in their home as they were spending their time there. Is that uh, shifting back some? You know, I think it is a very healthy balance. Justin and I were talking about this yesterday of, of you know, what that home buy looks like and what they're looking for and you know are they looking for multi-generational homes in which they have you know grandparents and parents living in the same home and then are they looking for a home office are they going to homeschool so I don't think the the idea of the home office is any more or any less of what it used to be. I think it is definitely a benefit because those that did work from home during the pandemic, a lot of times they've transitioned back, but they've transitioned back in sort of a 50-50 type of uh, scenario. So they're still finding that they're working from home as well. Condo sales are still pretty strong? Condo sales are strong. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're holding on. Of course, we're not uh, developing a whole lot of new condos or, or new townhouses, although I do think the advantage of a condo and townhouse as we move forward, certainly the conversation in Fayette County is how do we get a little denser, uh, and condos and townhouses will be part of that discussion. Um, is there more affordable, right? You can get into home ownership, into a condo or a townhouse for something that might be less than the median single-family residential house. And uh, if there, as we talk about inventory challenges, the real inventory crunch, more than anything, is that median and sub-median price point. Um, and I do think as we move forward, condos and townhouses are going to increasingly be a part of that solution uh, to first-time home ownership at a median or sub-median price. Do most re uh, sellers uh, have realistic expectations? Uh, th those, who, those who bought, uh, say, in 2019 or 2020, uh, you know, maybe and they paid 300000 you now see listings 550, 600 for the same home. Uh, is that reasonable? Can well, be. <laughs> it can be. You know, if you're thinking of certain areas and you're thinking of, of the inventory issue, you know, supply and demand is the name of the game. And, you know, if there's just not enough supply and if this is a very sought-after area, then the, the demand can definitely be there. I think what we, we are seeing now as we move forward is, you know, we're, we're seeing the rate of appreciation that we experienced in the historical last two years is, is declining a little bit. Not the pricing, but the rate of acceler uh, you know, acceleration of the pricing. So, For buyers uh, hoping to uh, look in the spring, uh, what uh, can they do to position themselves so that uh, their, their hunt for a house can go uh, quicker? Um, the one thing that I will definitely say, obviously, is consult a realtor. Um, make sure you have a trusted loan partner in there to where when you do find what you're looking for, you can be prepared to make that offer. Um, the other thing that it is, is nice about the the market being somewhat slower is the buyers are not having to do and and 
and prepare an offer and feel that they're in dire straits as much as they used to, you got a little more time to to you know sort of swallow what you're getting ready to go into and and getting your ducks in a row. And if you hope to sell soon, uh, mm -hmm. how do you get your property ready? Let's say you know, because a lot of people put uh, put them on in the spring, right? They sure do. Um, you know, make sure that you've got um, you've got it priced appropriately. Make sure that when you consult with your realtor, that when they come in and give you some recommendations on, you know, doing some uh, landscaping work or your curb appeal or, you know, what it's going to take, what the buyers are looking for, that you do listen to that. Uh, Justin, as you uh, look at the legislative session that will resume this week, they're going to be busy. They have a lot of things to consider uh, in very little time to uh, to uh, get some bandwidth on some issues. But I know uh, there are some things that you're hoping that they look at, one of those being uh, wholesaling. That is where people essentially sell a piece of paper rather than a home, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so the practice of wholesaling, which which generally is, is defined as uh, uh, getting under contract to purchase a home and then using uh, that contract and the equitable interest in that contract to sell the interest in that contract uh, for a price that's higher than you went under contract with the seller for uh, and pocketing the difference. Um, which, you know, for real estate licensee uh, were to do under a traditional listing agreement uh, would not be permissible under the law. Uh, and so what we're looking to do with a piece of legislation uh, in Frankfurt is to try to, to, to create some uh, clarity for consumers, that when a consumer is looking on, say, f a social media site and they see a link to property for sale, um, that they, they have the expectation that that person who's selling a home that they don't own uh, is a real estate licensee, is a, is a, is a real estate agent or a realtor. Um, where that may not be the case today. That wholesaler doesn't have an obligation of, of being a fiduciary. They don't have an obligation to honest and fair dealing, all of which is required under the law of a Kentucky licensed real estate agent. And so we feel that if you're going to advertise property to the public that you don't own, you should be licensed. And that's Re what the Real just feel pretty strong about that. We feel very strong about that. Uh, other things that, that people need to be aware of right now, you, you know, there are always some real estate scams going around uh, here and there. What are some things that you're, uh, you're aware of? Yeah, there's always, always things going on on the Internet, is how I'll put yeah. it. Um, and, and be aware that, that there are all kinds of things on the Facebook marketplace or on Craigslist or on any of these other sites that aggregate information about real estate. Um, that there are, there are ways for people to spoof or to fake uh, as though they are the listing agent or they are the seller. Uh, and I would always advise, and, 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 and Kelly talked about this you know, with some folks yesterday, uh, to make sure that you're, that you're reaching out to somebody and getting them on the phone, you know, talking to them, uh, making sure you know who they are and that you've checked their credentials uh, before you wire money or, or do anything like that. And certainly, if you're going to rent a place or buy a place, you might want to go look at the property first to make sure that the person has the keys uh, because there's a lot of that going on right now. In fact, one of the things we're dealing with right now is people actually trying to list property for sale with a real estate agent that they don't own uh, and through identity theft. And there have actually been instances where properties, uh, not so much in our market, but in other markets that have actually been transacted and sold uh, uh, without the actual owner being involved due to identity theft which is a great great reason to get title insurance if you're going to buy a property. Yeah. <laughs> have to keep your eyes more open than ever, huh? Exactly. And just just always consult with someone who's a professional 
in the field that you're looking to do you know when you're buying a house you know always consult with those that have that fiduciary responsibility have the availability of information and can you know give you honest answers to your questions because there are those who will go down to the local hardware store and buy a for sale by owner sign and think they can handle it all and maybe that will work out but if, if you uh, advise them maybe not right we're transaction troubleshooters we do a lot in um, the realtors out there do a lot in each and every deal and you know there's there's hundreds of things that can go wrong for many folks it's the largest financial track transaction they'll make in their lifetime um, and I certainly wouldn't advise anybody to try to do that on their own all right. Thanks for coming by. We appreciate it very much. Sounds like the trends are uh, uh, pretty good right now overall, right? It's a great time to buy or sell. Mar the market remains healthy. All right. Thank you. And stay with us now. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers in just a moment. Garrett Weimer from WKYT Investigates joins us with a story and some of what he's working on in a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. This past Monday marked 31 years since Powell County Sheriff Steve Bennett and Deputy Arthur Briscoe died in the line of duty. Their convicted killer has been sitting on death row since 1994. Public opinion in more states are turning against the death penalty. And right now it is still the law of the land in Kentucky, but executions have been on hold here for more than a decade. So is justice being delivered, delayed, or denied? WKYT's Garrett Weimer investigates. Inside the Powell County Sheriff's Office, reflections of those who wore the badge before, reminders of lives taken from them, and the reality of loved ones' lives forever changed. This didn't have to happen. This didn't have to happen. Stephen Bennett wasn't even four years old when his father, Sheriff Steve Bennett, was gunned down in the line of duty. He didn't know that he was when he left the house that morning that he wasn't going to come home to me and my mother. Now more than three decades later, I spent a lot of time thinking about what was going through his mind. This community in many ways is still haunted by what happened on that January day to Sheriff Bennett and Deputy Arthur Briscoe. During the past 30 years, I've spent a lot of time thinking about not necessarily Deputy Briscoe, but my friend Arthur Briscoe hunkered down behind his police cruiser shooting for his life until he ran out of ammunition. Ralph Stevens Bays Jr. was arrested January 30th, 1992. Police say he surrendered after an eight-hour manhunt through the woods, wanted for killing the two lawmen. Bays, you charged with murder, two counts. Bays shot them when they showed up at his home in rural Powell County to serve out-of-state warrants. In 1994, Bays was convicted and sentenced to die. The clock in the execution chamber is ticking on Ralph Bays. But he successfully stopped the clock on his scheduled execution September 25th, 2007. They have held me illegally. They convicted me illegally and they're trying to murder me illegally. One legal challenge was even heard by the U.S. Supreme Court. 
According to the Death Penalty Information Center, Kentucky is one of 27 states that still has the death penalty. But the last time the state carried out an execution was 2008. Today it remains on hold as it has been since 2010. Most recently, a 2019 circuit court order struck down the state's protocols after challenges from bays and other death row inmates. As part of a 2020 settlement agreement from that case, the Department of Corrections says it has formed a work group to review and amend the state's administrative regulations of the death penalty. We need to proceed. State Senator John Schickel says he knows public opinion is changing, but it's time to carry out those death sentences. In a committee meeting last fall, he asked the DOC for an update on where the state's protocols stand. He says he still hasn't received one. This really isn't about polling. This really isn't about future laws. This is about enforcing the laws that are currently on the books that every public official is sworn to uphold. Bodies shall come to order. Meanwhile, a bipartisan bill filed in Frankfurt would abolish the death penalty altogether. Senate Bill 45 is sponsored by two Republicans and one Democrat. And I think it's worth a societal discussion at the very least. Minority floor leader Gerald Neal says he understands how victims' families can feel what they feel, but there are still systemic issues with the death penalty, and he believes, even without it, justice can still be served. I have no sympathy for someone who goes out and disregards someone else's right to life in the sense of living their life in that space, and they disregard that. I have no, there's no sympathy there. Uh, I think the issue is bigger than that individual. I think it is a larger societal is, uh, issue. This also has personal ramifications depending on who you are. If SB 45 becomes law, Bayes and the 25 others on death row with him would instead serve sentences of life in prison without parole. It's changed a lot. Outside the Powell County Courthouse, monuments honor the city and county law enforcement officers who have died in the line of duty. There's five monuments there. Judge Executive Eddie Barnes sees them every day. And that's five too many. Barnes um, worked in law enforcement himself, serving under Sheriff Bennett and replaced by Deputy Briscoe when he left just weeks before Ralph Bays killed them. My personal opinion, this is, this is Eddie's opinion, um, you know, he's exhausted all appeals. Uh, you know, they found him guilty, and I think they need to carry out the sentence. Finding it frustrating that Bays is still alive after the sheriff and deputy he admitted to killing have long been laid to rest. And a Department of Corrections spokesperson says any regulatory changes to the state's protocols will be filed with the LRC for final action by the General Assembly. It is unclear when that can happen. Until then, executions will remain on hold. Uh, Garrett, very thorough piece, certainly, but even with that, you said there are some things that you uh, had to leave out, some additional uh, information. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, when you're talking about the death penalty, you're talking about something that is a very complex issue, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of uh, sides to uh, to that a lot of different uh, things to look into. I, I would encourage people to go to our website wkyt.com. We were just able to to look a little bit more at kind of where things stand uh, with this, not just in Kentucky uh, but around the country. I mean, you mentioned it uh, in the toss to the piece there that public support for the death penalty continues to drop. It's at a near 50-year uh, low. Uh, one organization called 2022, the year of the botched execution. A study last year found that. Uh, 
Kentucky's application of the death penalty, they found racial and geographic uh, disparities. You know, the last time Kentucky put an inmate to death was 2008 with uh, Marco Chapman. Uh, so it has been, Kentucky's one of 15 states without an execution in the last 10 years. It's difficult for the state to position itself to, to do one. Right. I mean, essentially. Essentially, I mean, it's been it's been years. 2010, an injunction put them on hold. Uh, there, uh, in 2019, there was another court order, uh, basically striking down the protocols. And what's interesting is that Ralph Bays, who we saw in the piece, has really been at the center of a lot of these challenges to Kentucky's uh, protocols. Whether it's been uh, with the lethal injection, uh, govern uh, the governor's clemency uh, powers and procedures, and and then in 2019. The, the latest thing to kind of strike this down was protocols to ensure that uh, those with intellectual disabilities uh, are not put to death. And so it's it, it has just been on hold for one reason or another for more than a decade now. This is a short legislative session uh, in you know just a few days to consider uh, things. But this bipartisan bill uh, seems to be at least on track to get some discussion. I exactly. Senator Neal, this is something that uh, he has sponsored similar bills in sessions before. He said he's encouraged by uh, some of that bipartisan support and, and what he told me basically was you know if you if you don't put it on the table it's not going to be discussed um, the interesting though the corrections impact statement the analysis done by the LRC for the bill basically projected a what they call a quote minimal to moderate fiscal impact basically less than a million dollars they say because if you think about it Kentucky has only executed three inmates since the death penalty was reinstated back in 1976 so really for most inmates even those sentenced to death most of them are, are serving a life sentence in prison anyway. Here, what else are you uh, working on right now that uh, you can tell us about? I got a piece coming up on Thursday looking into the timelines and timetables for um, nurse license suspensions in the rare cases that that step uh, needs to be taken. And then a follow-up uh, to a piece we did, a series of pieces we did last year, kind of looking at PTSD and first responders and the obstacles that they face, uh, working on an update uh, to that as uh, there are still some things in Kentucky yeah. state law that make things difficult for All them. All right. Uh, you can reach Garrett on email and uh, through WKYT.com uh, with your ideas. We'll be back and wrap up Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. Welcome back, and in this week ahead, we'll keep you up to date on the Kentucky legislative session that resumes in Frankfurt on air and online, of course, at WKYT.com. That's Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you make it a good week ahead.